Yep, yep, here I am. Uh, if you want to know what I'm doing on the first weekend in November of the year, maybe 2032, I'm pretty sure I could tell you that I will be standing right up here. Uh, happy deer hunting opener to you, also known as the weekend that I speak every single year. And by the way, if you don't like it when I speak, like if you look at the program, like, oh, he's up speaking this week, and you showed up this weekend, that's on you, okay? You should have known. You should have known. You're going to have to just sit through it and bear it because you should have known better uh, that this is where I was going to be. Uh, last weekend, we had Dave Ramsey with us as a guest speaker. And on Saturday night at our Lionel Lakes campus, we had over 2,500 people attend. Just to put that into perspective, the room at Lionel Lakes holds 2,100 people. That means there was 400 hanging from the rafters, out in the lobby someplace. And I also saw about 100 cars that pulled into the parking lot and they just left because there was no place for them to park. And so if you were somebody who wanted to see Dave Ramsey last weekend, you didn't get a chance to catch the message, you can find that on our website at eaglebrookchurch.com. He gave five ways to build wealth. Not necessarily material wealth, didn't say how much wealth you're going to build, but five ways to build wealth. And Dave Ramsey is so good when it comes to practical, financial, God-honoring advice. If you need that in your life, I want to encourage you to check that out. Today, we are beginning a two-week message series that is going to shape the future of our church. We are calling it One by One because we have always been about reaching one more person for Christ. Jesus said that God the Father would leave 99 people who were found to go searching for one person who was lost. And that's our heart as well. It's why we try to teach the Bible in language that you can understand. It's why we go out of our way to make sure that the message is relevant to your life and that the music connects you to the living God. We've never been too concerned about being a big church. For us, it's always been about the one. It's been about the one son. Some of you have a son right now who is just wandering away from God and making destructive choices, and it is just killing you as a parent to watch this. You need to know that God, right now as I'm speaking, is out searching for your son and wants to bring him back into a relationship. It's about the one daughter who's not doing well and is going through a really difficult time in her life, and you have to sit and watch this as her mom or as her dad. You need to know that God wants to comfort your daughter and to reveal his love and his peace into her life. It's about the one parent who's getting older and they haven't put their faith in Christ yet and as their son, as their daughter, you just kind of go, oh, I wish you would make that decision. It's about the one husband or wife who's not sitting next to you today. It's about the one sibling who's not doing well. It's about the one coworker, neighbor, or friend who just needs a relationship with God in their life. It's always been about the one. In fact, when I was in college, I was the one. I wandered into a church one night at the age of 19, and sadly, I could not understand what the priest or the minister was talking about. Just use religious language that was way over my head. And I felt embarrassed most of the time because I didn't know when we were supposed to stand and when we were supposed to sit, and I didn't know the hand motions, and everybody else seemed to know those things. But God has used that experience in my life to give me a heart for the person who walks into church and goes, I'm nervous. I'm a little embarrassed. What if they find out that I don't normally attend this place? 
And it's one of the things that I love about Eagle Brook that you can come and if you've been a believer for 20 years, you can walk out and go, I feel challenged and I feel encouraged. But if you're a person who hasn't been to church in 20 years, you can walk out and go, I feel challenged, I feel encouraged. I wanna begin today's message by asking you a question. It's a simple question, but it's really a foundational one for your life, and it's this, who do you trust? When you look at all the different people out there in this world and all the opinions that they have and all the opinions that they broadcast, who is that person that you go, I'm gonna listen to them, I'm gonna bank my life with them? It's an important question. Because if you choose the wrong person, you could be in for a fall. Several years ago, we were celebrating Christmas over at our house, and my wife's brother was there with his kids, and my wife's sister was there with her kids, and I was down in the basement with all the cousins. And the older kids were having a competition to see who could run the fastest on the treadmill. And so they're like putting up to a nine or a 10, seeing who can keep up. I'm kind of enjoying this whole deal. When all of a sudden, I feel a tug on my pants. And I looked down, and it was my niece, Aubrey. And I think she was about three years old at the time. Here's a picture of Aubrey. You have cute kids. My kids are pretty cute, too. But my niece, Aubrey, I mean, she is like the cutest kid I have ever seen. And one of the things that I love about Aubrey is ever since she was little, she's had this competitiveness. She's had this determination. So she's three years old. She tugs on my pant leg, and she goes, I want to run on the treadmill. Now, here's a rule of thumb. If a kid cannot pronounce the word treadmill, they probably should not be allowed to run on one. But I was curious to see how Aubrey could do, so I put her on there at a speed of a three or four, and she was having no problem. I mean, she's a great athlete, so she was just running at this speed. And so I said, you know, I'm gonna put you up to a speed of five or six. Now, to give you an idea of how fast that is, when I run, I run at about a speed of a seven or an eight. So five or six is crazy fast for a little kid's legs. Aubrey wasn't even running. She was just holding the bar and going like this, (laughs) fast as she could. She had a slightly frightened look on her face. But I thought, you know, I think she's got a little more in her. I think there's something down there. I just need to tap into it. She just needs to dig a little deeper. So I said, Aubrey, I'm going to put you up to a speed of seven. I'll catch you if you fall. And technically, I did catch her. Now, she had a treadmill mark tattooed on her forehead. but, But I did catch her, and she cried for about 10 seconds, and then she said, I want to try again. And we would have done it, except her dad came downstairs and ruined the whole thing. And it's weird, we haven't celebrated Christmas with them ever since, so I don't know what happened. But, but here's my point. Who is it that you trust? That's an important question for those of us on the treadmill of life, because trust the wrong person, and you could be in for a fall. Just take your money, for example. Who, who do you trust when it comes to your money? Some of us would say, well, I I trust Wall Street, you know, my investments, my mutual funds. That's really what I trust. Others of you might say, well, I trust my Social Security. I trust my 401k. That's going to be my security blanket. That's what's going to catch me if I fall. And all of those are good things. But I want to read to you a verse from the Bible. It's Proverbs 3, verse 9. It says this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first of your harvest, 
And then he says, your barns will be filled with plenty. Now, of course, this was written to an agricultural society, so you see words like harvest and barns. But if we were to translate this into more modern-day vernacular, it might say something like this, trust the Lord with your money and the first part of your paycheck, and then you will always have plenty. Here's my question for you today. Do you believe that? That when God says, if you put me first in your finances, if you, if you honor me with the first part of your paycheck, you're always going to have enough. Do you believe God when he says those words? Now, notice he doesn't say that you'll always be rich. Notice he doesn't say that you're never going to have trouble, that your water heater is never going to break, or you're never going to need to replace your brakes. He doesn't say that. But he does say that God will take care of us, that God will catch us when we fall. And this is so important because for many of us, money is a constant source of tension, isn't it? That you would say this is the number one thing you and your spouse fight about is money-related issues. Some of you are young adults and you've got school loans and you're trying to find an apartment to live in and you're just starting out in your career and you say, you know what, this is the thing that keeps me up at night. It's money-related stress. Others of you would say, you know, money isn't so much of a stressor in my life, but there's a lot of things I'd like to buy. And if you start doing the math in your head, you think, well, if I give to God first, then what if I don't have money for the house or the car or the vacation that I want to go on? And, and I've felt that way as well. I don't think any of us are immune to that feeling. But here's what this comes down to. Will you trust God? Will you put him first in every area of your life. Now, I know when we start talking about money in church, it becomes kind of a sensitive topic. And there are some of you who may be coming here for about a year and a half or so, and you're thinking, oh, you know, we, we've never talked about money that much, but here it comes, right? Here, here it comes. The church just wants my money. And that's kind of a common perception that a lot of people have stepping into a church for the first time. But Jesus told 38 parables a parable is a story that has a teaching point to it. And of those 38 parables, 16 of them were related to money. That's more than heaven and hell combined. So if Jesus wasn't shy in talking about money, then we need to be unashamed to talk about it as well. And here's why. When you give, when you put God first in your finances, God does something in your life. I can't even put my finger on it all the time. Sometimes it's unpredictable, but I am telling you there is a blessing. There is a blessing of protection and joy and provision from God that you begin to experience in your life. And so this isn't that we want something from you. This is truly we want something for you. So the question I want to ask today is this. How do you put God first in your finances? And it all begins with what the Bible calls a tithe. Now, the word tithe, it means 10% or one-tenth. Look what the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 27. He says a tenth, that's a tithe, of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, that's your produce, that's your income, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Now, if you're kind of a Bible student type, you might be reading that and going, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. I mean, that's in the book of Leviticus. There's all kinds of laws in the book of Leviticus that don't apply to us today. We don't obey those laws today. Does, does Jesus ever say anything about a tithe? 
Well, actually, he does. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is speaking to a group of religious leaders, and here's what he says. He says, you should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. Now, I want you to look again at these first three words. You should tithe. I don't know how he could be any more clear than that. And as if he was anticipating that we would push back, even at that, he goes, yes, yes, I mean that. Now, Jesus does go on to say that we should not leave undone things like mercy and justice. But the point of the passage is that it's a both and. We should tithe and we should care about justice and about mercy. What is a tithe? Well, let me first say what a tithe is not. A tithe is not charity. A charity is when you give money to your favorite college or hospital or organization. Those are good things, but those are examples of giving that is above and beyond the tithe. Tithing is also not giving. We use these two terms interchangeably, but they're actually a little bit different. People will say things like, well, I give to the church once in a while, or I give of my time. But, but tithing isn't a one-time deal, and it's not related to your time. Here's what tithing is, a definition. It's returning to God what belongs to God. Let me try to illustrate this for you. We've done this illustration before, but in my hand, I have 10 $10 bills. And this represents, this $100 represents your paycheck. God says, I'm going to give you $100. Now, some of you are going, when did God give me $100? When was there Benjamins falling out of the sky? I mean, I missed out on that one. But here's the reality. God gave you life. He gave you breath. He gave you arms and legs and physical strength. He gave you a brain and intellect. He gave you the ability to earn an income. So everything that you have is from the hand of God. Everything that you have belongs to him. And so God says, I'm going to give you this $100, but here's what I ask. I ask that you would return the first 10 to me to demonstrate that I'm first in your life and to further my work in this world. Now, when you're talking about $10, we're like, oh, yeah, that, that seems pretty simple. But, but what about when you're talking about $1,000? I have 10 $100 bills in my hand. What about when we're talking about 10,000 or 100,000 or a million dollar paycheck? Well, what, what then? Well, God says everything you have belongs to me. It's from my hand. And I'm gonna ask you to return the first 10 to me to demonstrate that I'm first in your life and to further my work in this world. It really is that simple. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, why does God do that? Why does he give me $1,000 and then ask me to give $100 back? Why not just give me $900 and cut out the middleman, right? Here's why. And this is so important. It's never been about the money. It's always been about our heart. This is why God says, give me the first 10%. Before you paid your bills, before you've bought anything for yourself, give me the first 10. Not just whatever 10% you want to give. He says, give me the first because it's about will you trust me? It's about our heart. In fact, Jesus said that money was the number one thing that would compete with God for your heart. Have you noticed this to be true in your life? That money is the number one thing that will compete with God for your heart. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. 
Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible. But here's my question. Why does he single out money? He could have used all kinds of other examples to make his point. He could have said you cannot serve both God and Buddha. That would have been true. He could have said you can't serve both God and your own sinful desires. That also would have been true. Why does he single out money? Well, the only explanation is that Jesus knew that money was the number one thing that was going to compete with God for your heart. No need to raise any hands, but let me ask you this question. How many of you would say that God is first in your life? You'd say, you know what, I'm not perfect, I make some mistakes, but I really want God to be first in my life. That's my number one value, my number one priority, and if you have kids, I want my kids to see that that is my number one value and priority. How many of you would say that? Now, if you answered yes to that question, how many of you would say that you return the first 10% of what you earn back to God to put him first in your finances and to further his work in this world? If your answer to the first question is yes, but is no to the second question, why is that? Wouldn't you want God to be first in every area of your life? Not just this area, that area, but not this area. And particularly the one issue that Jesus says will determine the direction of your heart. Here's my hope today. My hope is that many of you would say, you know what, this is a little scary. And this seems even a little bit crazy, but I am going to take a step of faith and I am going to put God first in my finances. Proverbs 3 verse 9 once again says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of your harvest, and then your barns will be filled with plenty. I believe that. I believe that God can do more with the 90% in my life than I can do on my own with 100%. My wife has been tithing ever since she was in high school. Working at Breadsmith, TCBY Yogurt, would take the first 10% of her paycheck and she would return that to the Lord. I started in college became a follower of Christ, took me a couple of years, but finally I realized that I needed to release. And I am telling you, my wife and I, we are convinced that God has worked in our life because of that decision. That there has been a blessing of protection and provision and joy that we couldn't have gotten anywhere else. And so I really want this for every single one of you. How do you do this? Because when you hear give 10%, that doesn't seem like a lot. But when you look at your bank statement after the fact, it feels like a lot. How do you actually do this? Here's the first way. You can if you plan. You can if you plan. Look at what the Bible says in Isaiah 32. He says, but generous people plan to do what's generous. They don't just kind of go, oh, I guess I'll figure that out. No, no, they actually plan to be generous. He says, and they stand firm. In other words, they're consistent. They don't quit. They're not knocked off of it. They stand firm in their generosity. Spontaneous giving is fun. When you buy a coffee for the person behind you in the drive through line at Caribou or Starbucks, that's fun. Unless it's like a conversion van and there's 15 people in there and then you're like, oh, that was kind of a mistake. Should have done it next week. But, <laughs> but otherwise, that's fun, right? I mean, you go up to the barista, you say, I'm buying coffee for the person behind me. They're like, oh, I love it when people do this. And you see their look of joy in the rearview mirror. That's fun. When you have a friend or a neighbor who's struggling and they've got a GoFundMe or they've got some medical expenses and you give to them 
and they come to you and they go, I can't believe you did that. I mean, I can't believe you did that. That's just, that's just too much. It's amazing that you do it. That feels good, doesn't it? There's some affirmation in that. And there's nothing wrong with spontaneous giving, but here's the case I want to make today. Strategic giving is where the real impact is at. It's not as glamorous. You don't always get that fun feeling. But strategic giving is where the real impact is found. Isaiah says, generous people plan. Now, what's interesting about that is what is it that most of us plan for? We plan what we're going to buy. You'll hear people, I'm saving up for a boat. I'm saving up for a new you know, set of golf clubs. We plan what we're going to buy. And Christmas is right around the corner. So a lot of us are starting to think of what we're going to buy. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, you know, I need to help the church a little bit. I need to help you find some great gifts for your loved ones. So I went searching and these are all real gifts that you can buy for the people in your life, okay? Here's the first one. It's a turntable for your cat. If your cat is the run DMC type, likes 80s hip hop music, wants to scratch a little bit on the turntable, $27, you can get this for them. It's called the UK Cat Playground. Now, if you are a cat person, and hopefully you know you're a cat person, okay? Because the worst is when you're a cat person and you don't know it. You're in a dark place if that's you, okay? But if, you, if you're a cat person and you know it, I don't mean this to offend you in any way, but I just have to tell you, this is where cat people start to get a little bit of a reputation, okay? You need to guard against this because here's another gift that I found. This is a book. It's called Crafting with Cat Hair. And the whole book is different crafts that you can do using your cat's hair so that the two of you can craft together. Now, I've never thought about crafting and cats coming together, you know, in one moment, but I realized that this week that that's my own personal hell. I mean, if God wanted to punish me in a very severe way, he would say, I'm putting you in this room. Here's a bunch of cats. You need to use their hair and craft. And I'd be like, I'm out. Right, that's just, that's over the top, God. So, so that, that's my personal. Here's another one I found. This is called the Lick'em Cat Scratcher. This is also known as the Lifetime Achievement Award for the crazy cat person, okay? So there's a couple gift ideas for you. These next ones are not related to cats whatsoever. In fact, this next gift is one that when my wife sees it, she is going to buy it for me for Christmas. Guarantee you. Because this has been a source of tension in our marriage for 16 years. And I've tried everything to try to figure out how to solve this tension. I've just found it. It's a contraption that catches your facial hair before it goes in the sink. I've tried putting down paper towels in there, let the water through, but nothing works. I'm always leaving a ring of hair around the sink. My wife is grossed out. This is gonna help some of you. It's gonna save some of your marriages, okay? Here's a final one. This is called a unisex hand crocheted beard. And what I love about this is they advertise it as unisex. Okay, so if you're a husband and you're running a little bit behind on Christmas gifts this year, you could purchase one of these for your wife. And when she opens it, you just go, it's unisex. Okay, it can go for men or it can go for women. I don't know, maybe spice up your marriage a little bit. Probably shouldn't have said that, but, <laughs> but you get the idea, okay? You get the idea. Now, here's the thing about each of these gifts. 
Nobody plans to buy those. Nobody sees a unisex hand crocheted beard and go, I've been saving up for two years to buy that thing. No, you just see them and you go, that's funny. I'm going to buy that as kind of a gift. Unfortunately, that's how some people are when it comes to their giving. Spontaneous. Not strategic. In fact, you might have noticed that we do not pass an offering plate or an offering bag here at Eagle Brook. Some of you grew up in a church like this where there was a portion of the service, it was known as the offertory, and they would pass around a plate or a bag and you'd pull out your wallet and if you had a 10 or a 20 in there, you might dump that onto the plate or into the bag. Some of you grew up in churches where if they didn't get enough the first time it went around, they'd send that sucker back around a second time, wouldn't they? Lock the doors. Nobody's getting out here till we fill up this bag, okay? We don't do that. And the reason that we don't do that is this. We don't believe that giving to God is something that you just kind of, oh, what do I got here? I'm just gonna give God whatever I've got left over. You know, if I got some cash, yeah, sure, I'll throw that in. It's just sort of flippant. We don't believe that you should give out of guilt or compulsion or pressure. You want to impress the guy three chairs down. You felt guilty about what you did the night before. That's not, that's, that's faithless. Biblical generosity is when you say, you know what? I'm going to plan. I'm going to give to God first. I'm not going to give him my leftovers or whatever I just have. I'm going to give to God first before I spend on anything else. We're not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors Isaiah says, generous people plan. I was talking to a guy at one time, and he said, here's my plan. I'm going to increase my giving by 1% every year. When I talked to him, he was giving 33% of his income. Talked to another couple. They said, here's our plan. We want to get to a place where we can give 51% of what we earn back to the work of God in this world. That doesn't just happen. You have to plan to do that. Isaiah says, generous people plan. So here's my question, what's your plan? Some of us may need to sit down this week with an Excel spreadsheet or whatever app that you use to track your spending, and you might need to say, let's, let's put together a plan. Let's put God first in this area of our life. Let's give to him first before we spend on anything else. And then my recommendation would be to take the next 10 to 20%, if you can, and put that towards savings for a day when you need that. And then live on the other 70 or 80%. And what you're going to find if you do that is things are going to get tight. After you pay your bills and deal with your insurance premiums and buy your groceries, you might have to sacrifice some things. You might have to sacrifice the $7 turtle mocha, double espresso latte, whatever it might be. But Isaiah says, generous people plan. Here's the second way that you can begin to put God first in your finances. You can... If you believe that the church, meaning the, the, the big C church, is the hope of the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul commends the Corinthians for their giving. But who are they giving to? They were giving to the church in Jerusalem. In the book of Malachi, in the Old Testament, Malachi says this, bring the full tithe. So he's talking about a tithe here, into the storehouse. And when he said those words, the storehouse was the temple. It was the organized place where God's people gathered together to worship. There is no place in the Bible where a tithe is ever given to an organization or a cause or a movement that wasn't the organized place where God's people gathered. My wife and I, we give to other organizations and causes, but that's an offering. 
We give that above and beyond our tithe. Our tithe goes to Eagle Brook because that's our church. Now, this might seem like semantics to you, but Jesus says that the church is the bride of Christ. He says it's the body of Christ. He says the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. Jesus says there is coming a day when he is going to return for the church. No government or organization is ever called the bride of Christ. No government or organization is going to prevail against the gates of hell. It's the church. By the way, if if you don't believe in the mission of this church and I don't say this with any bitterness or anger, then you should give your tithe to a different church. Give it to a different church that you can take ownership in. But it's the church. Thankfully, so many of you do believe in the mission of this church, and it's because of you that several years ago, we were able to build our Anoka campus debt-free. And I wanna show you something interesting that happened when we did that. When we were meeting at Coon Rapids High School, which is where the Anoka campus started, our attendance stayed right around 1,000, a little over 1,000. When we opened up a permanent building, boom, it tripled. It actually almost quadrupled. Just like that, within a year, we were able to reach thousands of more people for Jesus Christ. Same thing happened in Woodbury. When we started Woodbury, we were meeting in East Ridge High School. We were at about a little over 2,000 people. When we went to a permanent facility, boom, just like that, we doubled over 4,400 people. Today, the Woodbury campus has over 6,000 people who attend. And it's all because of your generosity. Because of your generosity. Last year, we were able, through the Union Gospel Mission, we opened a mental health clinic for people experiencing homelessness. We were able to help do that because of your generosity. Because of your generosity, we purchased and renovated a house for women dealing with abuse and domestic violence. Your strategic giving impacted people's lives that way. This year, our weekly student ministry attendance is 1,837. That's the future of this nation. Think about that. Every Wednesday night, 1,800 middle school and high school students are coming and they're hearing about Jesus Christ and living a life for him. That's the future. Last year, we provided relief to 20,000 vulnerable children, food and clothing through Orphan Network in Nicaragua. We baptized 1,800 people at this church who found new life through Jesus Christ. And every year, we have 700 people that go through Quest 180, which is an addiction recovery ministry, and divorce care, which helps people at a very, very difficult spot in their life. And it's all because of your generosity. Because of your generosity, we are remodeling our Blaine campus. Every week at the 11 o'clock service, we had people sitting in the lobby watching on a monitor because there was no seats. And you just think about that. You finally get your dad to come to church with you, and you have to sit in the lobby looking at a TV mounted to the wall. We could have just kept doing church, but we said, you know what? Everybody deserves a seat. Everybody deserves to meet Jesus Christ. And so because of your generosity, we are expanding Blaine debt-free from 800 seats to 1,500 seats. We're adding an expanded brand new kids space because there's lots of young families in Blaine and additional parking, all because of your generosity. All because of people like you who say, you know what? I can't take my money with me when I die. 
but I can use the money God's given me here on earth to bring people with me to heaven. 100 years from now, you think you're gonna be glad you made that decision? Absolutely, what better return could you get? An eternal investment in somebody else's life that will last forever. And so all this brings me to the question, why should we care about putting a permanent facility out in Wyzetta? Wyzetta is our seventh campus. It's meeting right now in Wyzetta High School. And the answer to that question is always the same. It's one by one. It's about people. It's about one son, one daughter, one parent, one person. One person who is a soul that God loves and wants to redeem and wants to save for all of eternity. It's always been about people. And so last weekend, I was out at our Wyzetta campus meeting some of the people who are there, who have a seat because of your generosity. I wanted you to hear a little bit of their story. Take a look. Hey, Eaglebrook, I'm here at Wyzetta High School. It's 7.30 in the morning. It's still dark outside, but we've had volunteers here for a couple of hours setting everything up. I graduated from this high school in 1997. Feels like a long time ago these days, but this is also our seventh Eaglebrook location. Because of your generosity, we were able to open this campus March 4th of this year. And today, every Sunday, over a thousand people gather together to worship and to be impacted by God. So today, I wanted to take a look around and meet some of the people who attend this campus and hear a little bit about their story. My husband and I were on our way back from the movies and I saw the billboard saying that Eaglebrook is starting in YZ this weekend. So I walked in the door and loved every moment of it. The moment I came here, it was like no other church I've ever been to. The worship music was so powerful and I could just feel God in my heart. There was something in the room and energy that I'd never experienced before in a church. And I just kept coming, and it was a beginning of a really awesome journey that I've had thus far. Our daughter encouraged us to come, and we were not very sure about the loud music, the lights. <laughs> but then once we saw what was going on and saw how God was at work, we decided to make this our home church. Having something on the west side of the city has been awesome. As soon as it got announced that it was going to Wyzetta, anyone on this side of the city was ecstatic to have that church planted within their community. Uh, my boss invited me to come attend this church and I left feeling like I just filled this void I had no idea I even had. I think there was a wall that needed to be broken down and that can only be broken down by Jesus coming into your life and then you you want to share it with people. You know, you want to just jump around and be all excited about Jesus. It's been a very welcoming place for me. Right now I'm working on my relationship with God, but no one has really tried to push anything on me. I've been able to kind of take things on at my own pace and build my relationship with God without like feeling like I'm forced to do so. In December, I'll be sober six years. And if it wasn't for our Eaglebrook and Quest 180, I, I just wouldn't be the person I am. And because of my experience here, I want to pass it along to other people. 
And I've done that by starting a small group for women in recovery. We meet every Sunday for about an hour here, and I just love coming here. I can't wait to come here on Sunday mornings. Every week, I walk in here and I want to learn more. I want to grow more. This church didn't just teach me what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. This church helped me heal. This church helped me forgive. They helped me love. But most importantly, they helped me see that my identity isn't in what I have or even who I am, but rather it's in Jesus. And because of that, my entire world has kind of transformed. This campus is obviously one of those stories of faith, of stepping out, um, taking a risk. But I can tell you that for my life, I almost feel like I would choke if this church in particular wasn't here. I feel like this is the spot where the rest of my life is going to start from. And I don't know what that is, but I know that I desperately need to find that. We grew up in church all of our lives, and I have to say this is the most exciting time I've ever seen in my life at being at Eagle Brook. Because of other people's generosity and because of the giving, the Eagle Brook here in Wayzata is able to exist. And because of this place, my life has changed. My kids' life has changed and it's even impacted family members that don't come here. My mom, who would never go to church, listens to the Eagle Brook podcasts. My dad listens to the Eagle Brook podcasts every single day. And without their, their generosity, this never would have happened. I'm very proud of my church because I believe it is a church that literally spreads the word of God to people who need it and who are suffering for people like myself. It was just here when I needed it. It was almost like God put a church right by my house for this. You know, if you give to this place, I hope God gives you a lot of joy seeing that because you've helped a lot of people and you've made a real difference in real people's lives. And so I want to invite you today to think about using the resources that God has given you to reach people for Christ. Somebody did that for you. You're sitting in a seat right now that someone who has never met you this side of heaven, maybe we'll never meet you, but they helped provide that seat that, so that you can come, your family can come, and you can meet God and your lives can be transformed. And it's not always a major donor. I know high school students and college students who give because they say, you know what, we don't want to miss out on the joy of putting God first in this area of our life. And so today I'm going to invite you to do something called the 90-day challenge. We've done this before. And many people have found it to be very helpful to them. The 90-day challenge works like this. What if for the next 90 days you said, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to take the first part of my paycheck. I'm going to do what God says to do. I'm going to take the first part. And I'm going to give that to God. And at the end of those 90 days, if you get done and you go, man, God didn't show up. I mean, I just, I didn't see anything happen. I really, really regret that decision. We will give you your money back. And that's not a gimmick. We just want to help you get started. My wife and I mostly give out of obedience because this is what God has asked us to do. But we have found in our life that there has been such a joy in seeing people's lives impacted for eternity. We have found that God has provided for us and even blessed us in ways that we never could have imagined. And we attribute much of it to this. 
So if you're interested in signing up for the 90-day challenge, here's how it works. You go to our website, eaglebrookchurch.com slash 90-day challenge, and you can walk through step-by-step there, and you can get signed up. You can do that tonight. You can do that this week. As you leave today, we're going to give you a little reminder card of how to do that. But I want to encourage you to trust God in this area of your life. Hey, next weekend, Bob is going to be giving a message that will cast vision for our church for the next couple of years. And if you're a person who calls this place home, absolutely a can't-miss weekend. want to invite you back for that. Let's stand as we close in prayer today. God, I know this is a tough topic to talk about, and it's personal. So God, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us about this, that there would just be a sense that we hear your voice and we know and that we would just have this sense that you're with us, God, and that we can trust you no matter what. Lord, I thank you for the people in this church who so generously give and just to see the impact that that makes in real people's lives. God, I know right now that there's a son out there, a daughter, a parent or a spouse. I know there's a friend or a roommate that needs you, God. And if they're here right now, Lord, I pray that they would just have this sense that you brought them here and that you love them and that you desire a relationship with them. And God, I thank you for those who generously give and provide that seat and that opportunity. God, thank you for the impact that this church is making, not just within these walls, but outside of these walls in the Twin Cities and around the globe. God, would you continue to do that through us? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.